stand in your presence. You are in this place today. And we take whatever that is and we set it to the side and say, we will not give that thing our attention. We will not give that thing our adoration. We will worship the God who is over all, the God who created all, the God who knows us best, loves us best. We will give you our attention today. You are worthy of all of it, God. We bless your name. We bless you today. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. <coughs> Yeah. 
You know, for Chris to stop and not be here, I mean, the guy never stops, right? I mean, he's like the Energizer Bunny, going all the time. I get tired just looking at him when he's working out. So for him not to be here, that's a big deal, but he sends his best, and I know he's, he's not for sure what's going on, flu-type symptoms, but let's pray for him, and let's pray for what God wants to do for us here in this building, and for those of you watching online, I know it's cold out there, but you know, if anointing can go from a handkerchief of Paul to somebody else, I think his anointing can go through the airways. <laughs> if you're listening by recording or live, I think and I pray that you will feel the anointing that we're already starting to feel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together. I am so grateful for the promise where two or more gather in my name. You will come. You will show up. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for being here with us, that we might honor you before you even give us your word by worshiping you. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Your will be done this morning, Lord, I pray. And I thank you, Lord, for opening up your word. Let it make a difference in our lives so we can bring you glory by the way we live. Pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Great I am. Let's declare that together this morning.
fully grounded in you today. The words that are spoken that come from your holy word will transform us. Let them captivate us. Let them carry us to a place, Lord, where we find ourselves resting even in the most chaotic times that might be happening around us, that we walk in your peace and we walk in rest. We know that's what you want for us. You tell us to trust you, to bring our burden to you, to take your yoke upon us. Help us to do that today, Holy Spirit. Thanks, Lord God Almighty, for all the benefits that you have given us. 
to you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You might want to, I know many times in my life and talking to people, they go, I just, I just don't know what to pray. Of course, we talk about the Lord's Prayer and these different models that we have. But the liturgy is, a, is another model. It's, it's another tool and aid that God can use to draw you into his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The title of this sermon is called Enjoying God's Glory. Enjoying God's Glory. This sermon is based on an article that uh, I'm taking Mark Roberts. I don't think Mark's here, is he? I'm taking Mark Roberts' class on counseling. And boy, does he have a lot of articles that we want to read. <laughs> and at one particular time, he said, I want you to take the, your favorite article that we've read. It's a weekly class that we're in for a couple of hours every Tuesday. And I want you to summarize it. I want you to embellish it. I want you to draw out your thoughts from it. So when Chris called me yesterday to come and preach for him. We had some guests over, and then we went to another function in the evening. And uh, it was a very busy day, so I didn't really get too much time thinking about it until around 10 o'clock last night. And, and this, this article by John Piper kept coming up that I've written a review on kept coming up. So I'm going to kind of share that with you today, if that's okay. And I made a title for it called Enjoying the... In, Join God's glory. The title of the article that he had us read was God's glory is the goal of biblical counseling. God's glory is the goal of biblical counseling by John Piper. Many of y'all familiar with John Piper. There are several people that had a local minister who's a pastor in Minnesota and God gave them the calling to go beyond his own congregation. There's several of them. Some of you probably could come to mind. And uh, he, he was at the Bethlehem Church in Minnesota. And uh, his ministry obviously went beyond that congregation. And uh, so look him up. He's got some great things to say. Now, I don't believe and share some of the things that he believes. For example, he is a five-point Calvinist. I'm probably more of a three-point Calvinist. <laughs> Some of you are going, what, what does that mean? Don't worry, you get to go to heaven and not even know what five-point Calvinism is all about. Uh, but uh, there's just some things. But you know what? Romans chapter 14 says there's disputable matters and don't let that, don't let the differences come between you. That, well, that's not what I'm after. I'm wanting y'all to come together. And most of the essentials, the main things we are to read Hallelujah. Well, this article is about biblical counseling. This sermon is not about biblical counseling. It's about God's glory. But I was, when I saw the title of that article, God's glory is the goal of biblical counseling, I said, Lord, uh, of course it is. But isn't, if you really think about it, everything, the goal of everything is to have God's glory as a center of it? Just biblical counseling. I was reminded when I took that thought of 1 Corinthians 10, 31. In all that you do, do it all for the what? Glory of God. Everything. There's nothing left out that we should not be mindful of His glory. I looked up, you know, the Greek, the all worth there, and guess what it means? All. Yeah. All. 
We should be seeking to see his glory and then reflect that glory to others. What will they be seeing? A transformed life and ever going from glory to glory and increasing, letting God's glory increase in us so they can not see us, but they can see him. I think about the moon. Y'all have all seen the moon. But at different times of the month, it looks a little different, doesn't it? Sometimes it's the full radiance of the sun, S-U-N, and that sun reflects off the moon. But throughout the month, what happens? Something gets in the way, diminishing the fullness of the sun, of the moon's glory. What is it? The earth, the planet, the world gets in the way and diminishes the glory of God. That doesn't need to be our story. We want the sun, S-O-N, we want the full measure of his glory being given to us so we can then reflect that glory so others can see. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. I like John 15, verse uh, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When God starts to bless us, it's not just about us. It's that we might take that blessing and bless others so they can see his glory. Thus proving that we really are his disciples. I have another illustration about the fullness of, and our ability to bless others so God can see him in us. Alright, this is not full, is it? You know, I like scriptures like Ephesians chapter uh, 3.17. This is my prayer. It's Paul's prayer. That you know the breadth, the height, the width, the length of God's love. That you may be receive the full measure of God. Isn't that great? Knowing how much God loves you causes you to embrace that love and causes you to be more like him. Because that full measure of him is now available to be passed on to others. Alright, so here's my illustration. This is not full, is it? Is it full now? Okay, okay, no, it's not full. Okay. Is it full now? with him more and more and more that the overflow can bless those in our lives. And they can see him through our walk with him or the transformed mind, etc. Okay, where's Heather? That's a great little children's uh, 
All right, Webster's 1828 definition of the word counseling is to give advice or deliberate opinion to another for the government of his conduct. To give advice. There's one word I don't like here. We're not talking about biblical counseling, just counseling. To give, to give advice or to deliberate opinion to another for the government of his conduct. Biblical counseling changes one word. It changes the word opinion to scripture. Now let's read it. Biblical counseling is to give advice and deliberate scripture to one, to another, for the government of his conduct. Because the Bible is the best source for transformation. It's the best source for what governs our life. And if it's not that, I fear the consequence of what we would allow to govern our lives. God wants that position. God did not die on the cross so you could remain the same. He's after something. His glory being exhibited in you to others. I can just see the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father... Before creation and everything. And the Father says something like this. My Son, Holy Spirit, what, when I create them, what can I give them to express my deepest love for them? What, what can that be that I can give them so they have no doubt I'm madly in love with them, my creation? What could that be? I know I will give them so when God wants you to glorify Him and to see His glory, it's not because He's like needy and needs attention. Oh, come on, give me attention. Stop playing so much golf. Get, get, come on, let me have more of a higher place in your life. It's not that at all. He knows that the greatest thing that can satisfy you and fill you up is Him. There's nothing of a greater gift than Him giving us Himself. He died to save us from, the, from sin, the ways of the world, the flesh, and our sinful nature. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6, because of his great love, he made us alive in Christ. So it is by grace, it's because of that love that you are saved. Romans 5, 17 says, before Christ reigned in your life and you gave him that position, death reigned. Death governed your life and your character and your conduct. But when you received Christ and became that new creation, you have a new Lord, a new person to govern your life, and that's Jesus. Hallelujah. God wants to save you not only so you can enjoy Him forever, but like I said, so others can see the work that He's done in you and give Him glory. Because the end of all things is God's glory. Now, we haven't defined glory, have we? I like to define things and just make sure that we're, I'm communicating with the author of the, or trying to say. So I gave you a definition of biblical counseling, and now I'm going to give you a definition of His glory. It means seeing the radiance, the splendor, the magnificence, the worth, the greatness, 
the goodness of God. The Hebrew word for glory is heavy or weight. There is nothing more heavier or weighty than the splendor and greatness of God. The weight of God's glory is so great, there's nothing that can be compared to it. Part of the definition of that Greek word includes this. The glory of God is the unspoken manifestation of his glory. The unspoken. I take that to mean no words can define or describe it. It's beyond words. Wow. When the angels in heaven, and we will join them, are around the throne of God, what are they saying day or night? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the one who is, was, and is to come. Thank you, I just lost it there. Again, let's define holy. Most would say it's sacred. It's, a, it's about being free from evil and a, a character and, a, and a, uh, the ability to maintain the absence of sin in your life. I mean, you can go through all that stuff, but that's, that's true. But part of the definition of holy is it's not. So the angels are saying, God, you're so different. You're so glorious. You're, there's no splendor. There's no radiance. There's no brilliance. There's nothing that gets close to who you are. And God gives us an opportunity to walk in relationship with him and in his presence, <clears throat> letting others know how much God means to us and how good and great and splendid is that God, that God wants. Looking for and seeking to discover and acknowledge the glory of God is the key to contentment. Think about it for a bit. The glory of God is the key to contentment. And we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be there for a second or two. Join me. Go to four, starting in eleven, Ephesians four eleven. Because Paul makes a statement that we're gonna we're gonna learn the secret. Let's let's read it together. For I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. What's the definition of contentment? If you look it up, the Greek word means it's not dependent upon anything else. So let's put the definition in there. I have learned to be independent from any circumstance that would try to draw my attention away from him. My relationship with him is not dependent upon my circumstance. It's not dependent if I have or I have not. I am I'm independent of those things. And I've learned the secret to being that. saw this several years ago and I think it was John Piper that said the same thing I was saying then I felt that much better. <laughs> Thanks for confirming it. Uh, I've learned to be 
content, whatever the circumstance. I know what is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. He learned it. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether to be fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, a lot of, some people say, there it is, there's the secret. We can do everything through him who gives you strength. I don't think so. I think when I tell you what the secret is, because of that reality, he, I can just do anything. God can use me to do anything. Because of what I know. And let's go here. Let's go back up, up the chapter. Let's go back the chapter to uh, Philippians 3, verse 7. Because this, this tells us, I believe, what the secret of contentment is. But whatever was to my profit, this is verse 7, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Hallelujah. That's the secret of contentment. He had such a deep, loving relationship with Christ, with His Father, with the Holy Spirit, that everything else lost its value. Wow. I considered them rubbish. All that he had, his position, his identity, and all the things that he did, which he said a few chapters, a few verses before, I consider, I, for, for those sake, I have considered all things, I'm sorry, lost my place here. Let's go back to verse 8. It is, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Wow. The surpassing greatness of knowing Him caused Him to devalue the other things in so much that in comparison to the greatness of Christ, I consider them, if I lose them, if I have them, if I don't have them, it doesn't matter because you know what? In comparison to what I have in Him and the relationship that I have that I get to enjoy all day long, all that stuff is really rubbish. You know what the Greek word is for rubbish? It's translated poop. <laughs> Can I say that? And... Yeah, you did. I did. <laughs> you know what? If you lose your poop, you don't really care. <laughs> and you're really not going to lose sleep over it. We raise dogs. We throw it away. We throw poop away. A lot of it. And the point Paul's trying to say is here, I learned the secret of being content. I just made everything really worthless in comparison to knowing him. And that motivates him. To be able to do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens him. Good times, bad times, or whatever. And we can make God help us all learn the secret and contentment. Which is not a secret anymore. We know it now. I like the parable of the great pearl. The 
The guy found the great pearl. What did he do? He went and sold how much? Everything. And he went away in joy because he had the pearl. He lost. He, he, had, he gave up everything for the pearl. He didn't go away going, man, I sure, sure, sure it's a lot for this. I hope it's worth it. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. No, he was delighted. Paul is delighted for what he has in Christ. The relationship that Christ died to open the door that we might be in relationship. I am thrilled. In fact, I am so thrilled. When can I get out of here and go see him face to face? Wow, when I read things like that, I'm challenged. I am so challenged. And I really ask God to forgive me. Say, God, forgive me that I haven't got to this place. My stuff still means a lot to me. And I'm sorry for that. One of the secrets to being content is devaluing all the stuff. Now let's go to another place that's very similar. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Let's go all the way to Job. Right before Psalms. Go to 20, 24. No, 22, I believe it is. Let's see. Well, I love this. Well, I, yeah, I just love this. <laughs> this is one of my favorite verses, or verses, plural. 22, verse 23. See, this does not sound familiar, but there is a slight difference. If you read, now this is one of Job's friends. Now, you might be going, Wait a minute, Jennifer, why are you quoting Job's friend? Didn't God get mad at his friends because of their counsel? You know, so why are you doing this? Well, I think a lot of what they had to say, and what, what this, he's about to say, I think is good advice. The only problem was it didn't apply to Job. Because look how it starts off. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. Wait a minute. If I was Job, I'd be going, I, I, I've never left. <laughs> you're, you're asking me to return. I have never left. I don't know what's going on. Is there times in your life where you feel that way? God, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not leaving you. And his friends are saying, look, Job, you're suffering because you're just, you left him. You just haven't pleased him. Just get your life straight and in order, things will change. Now that is a reality at times in our life. First Peter chapter 4, this just came to mind, talks about don't let your suffering be that because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. We can't suffer and it's not God's will because of our own doing. Do you hear me? But then he goes on to say, but as a Christian... You're suffering because as a Christian you're being persecuted because you are a Christian. Man, let God do a work through that. So we have to be careful at times not to apply a scripture to someone when the Holy Spirit is saying that doesn't apply in this situation. Don't give it. Does that make sense? But this is good stuff. If you, have, if you have left the Lord, or you're not walking in the fullness of the Lord like Job was doing. Let's read it. 23. If you return to the Almighty, 
Remember, this doesn't apply to Job, but it can apply maybe to you, maybe to me, and certain things in my life. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets, your gold, your nuggets to the dust, your gold of, of fear, I think that's how you say that, to the rocks in the ravines. In other words, just take your gold, Job, and throw it in the ravine. You're, you're attached to too much of this stuff. Just get rid of it. Then the Almighty will be your gold. The choicest silver for you. Do you see the similarity with what happened, but it's a little still different? With Paul, because he was walking with the Lord to the depths that he was, everything, all his gold was like, just throw it in the ravine. It's, not, it's worthless to me. Here is the opposite. If you find yourself where you're not walking with the Lord and you want more of the Lord, get rid of it. Assign it to the ravine. Don't put the value on it. And then God will take that place in your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We have to be careful of treasuring things, treasuring nouns. What's a noun? Person, place, or thing. We need to be careful that we're not letting persons, places, or things have such a priority, have such a high value in our place that they become our treasure instead of Him. So which comes first? Do, do I... I'm not sensing God. I don't know where God is. I'm not walking with Him. I should. So what's first? Do I get? Do I devalue my stuff and not and realize I'm placing way too much value on my free time, on my career, on my sports, on my hobbies, whatever? Is that first, or is it knowing Him to the degree that we would get rid of this stuff? It's not a. It's it's a trick question I'm asking because it's not. It's both are too valuable not to do them simultaneously. It's not linear. If I do this, this, then this, it's a circle. God, I need more of you so I can devalue the things in my life that are standing in the way for the fullness of your glory be reflected out of my life. And I've also, Lord, in spending time with you, realized that this thing over here, I, I need to... It's in the way, and I need to step in closer to you. I need to walk closer to you so I can have the fullness that you want to give me. That's good stuff. But look what also happens. Look what else you get if you devalue your stuff, the nouns of your life. Then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You will pray to him, and he will hear you, and you will fulfill your vows. Why? Because he is so valuable to you, you want to please him. He wants to please you, and you want to please you. You can find delight in him, which is always so much easier to walk in the things of God because you delight in him instead of because it's duty. Duty is not an ugly word, but it is not, 
going to help you find the joy that God wants to give you. Hmm. I'm going to prove that in a minute, but stay with me here. What you decide will be done. The light will shine on your ways. Matthew, we already read that. Let your light so shine that others may see your good deeds and give God the glory. When we need to live that way all the time that people give God the glory because of who they see us attached to and are excited about and are walking in. Alright. You, what you decide will be done the light will shine on your ways when men are brought low and you say, lift them up. Then he will save the downcast. <coughs> he will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleansingness of your hands. Well, you should go home. Just dwell on that later on this afternoon. During halftime of the Cowboy game. Just dwell on that. God, because you have made me so clean, because you're transforming my life, you're telling me that I can even pray for those that are downcast, and you will, you will hear my prayer. You'll go, yes, because you're radiating me, and I'm going to make sure they see it. I will honor what you have given me by giving you more people to bless. God, this is just amazing to me. God is so when men are brought low and you say, God, lift them up, then he will save the downcast. Just because you prayed for them, just because you were walking deeply with him. Abide with me, John 15 says. If you abide with me, you can ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. Give me more people. That doesn't mean that you can now go... Pray for a Ferrari. God going, I think you're interpreting that a little wrong there. Be so in tune with me that ask, and I will bless you with that, in order that not, that not only that you will see my glory more, but others will see it. He will deliver even the one who's not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleansiness of your hands. Wow. Let's go to John chapter. 17. How are we doing? Look at the time here. One of the benefits of knowing him is what it produces in you. This is uh, John 17, verse 25. This is Jesus' prayer before the cross. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I love this. Listen, I have made you known to them. And I will continue to make you known. The ministry of Jesus, when he was on the planet Earth, walking in the flesh, was to, one of the things was to make his father known to the disciples. To his disciples. And I love where Jesus says, oh, and I'll continue that. I'm not going to stop doing that because I'm in heaven. And you will continue to make, I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The 
fruitfulness the effect of knowing him like Paul knew him was also the fact that you're going to receive his love and love him back. It's all about love. Get in his word, digest it daily, find him in scripture, and see what God wants to do. But one of the things he'll do first is give you a new love for him because you are receiving his love in return. Does that make sense? Look what it says in John chapter 15. We read that a few minutes ago about the glory. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is 1510 now. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remained in his love. Now look at this. This is another thing that this love relationship produces. And I bet you want more of it when I let you see what it is. Here we go. I have told you this. The things that he just told you, the things that I just read. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be May be full, may overflow into the life of others. John uh, Westminster Catechism. Catechism is a, a, a huh? It's, a, it's, it's manuscripts. It's, it's learning from manuscripts. Catechism. In the 1600s, in London, that's why they call it the Westminster, the Shorter Westminster Catechism. A bunch of archbishops and bishops and pastors of churches got together because they said, we got to show our congregations that we agree on more things than we disagree. And they started just answering questions. They answered 250 questions, and they said, ah, it's too big of a book. They're not going to read it. So they came up with a shorter version, which is around about... Hundreds of uh, things to answer. Give us the first question. Yeah, let's go, Cam. Okay, there we go. Uh, so the first question that they answered was this: What is the chief end of man? What is man's purpose? But why are we here? You know the answer: To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the answer. John Piper said, I like it, but I want to change one word. The chief end of man is to glorify God and then not then and enjoy him forever. Don't make it separate from the first part. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. It's the satisfaction that we get by abiding in Him and glorifying Him that brings great joy that people are going to see and go, I, I don't get this. Why, why are you so happy when things are going on? Because I'm content. Why are you content? Because I have things to be Because I have Him and everything else doesn't really mean that much to me. I mean, you've got a whole story that you go on there. But He built a ministry around that thought that 
Enjoying God is the best thing you can do to glorify God. He had a phrase that said, the chief, then it says, oh gosh, now I can't remember it. Uh, can, can you help me here? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. That's how we glorify God. Not coming to church on Sunday by itself. Not just getting in the Word by yourself, because you can read the Word. If you don't do the Word, it doesn't really do anything for you. Not going to the Bible study, life group, being a life group. All that's good stuff, don't get me wrong. But He wants us to be satisfied. He wants our He wants to be the most important thing in our if he is not the thing that we love the most, the thing that we have over him is idolatry. Yes. And God in the Bible says, cast down idolatry. Don't let anything be greater of a love than him. I like Kim's favorite verse, Joan of the Whale. 2.8. Those who cling to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that can be yours. You know where Jonah got that revelation? Inside the belly of a whale. He said, okay, God, this isn't working very well. Can I have time to rethink this thing about going to Nineveh? Yes, you may. It's the first biblical timeout. Timeout. And not going to your room. Get inside the belly of that whale. And he came to himself. He said, Lord, I... I've made an idol out of wanting justice ministered to those evil people. I've made that the most important thing in my life. It even caused me to want to run away from you because you didn't see it the way I saw it. And he was forfeiting the grace that could be his. Wow. Okay, we've got to wrap this thing up, though. Let me ask you a question. In, in conclusion, are you, is the greater joy knowing how much God thinks of you? Or is the greater joy knowing how much you think of Him? Let me put the love word in there. Is the greater joy knowing how much God loves you? Or is the greater joy come? Both are important. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's not again either or so much. But the greater joy is in loving you. Let me put this more in a natural context for you. If you were in my house and you were visiting me, Robert was there sitting at the couch with me, playing with one of my dogs, and Kim walks into the room, and I do this. I look to Robert and I go, see that woman? She loves me a whole lot. Now that's true. That's true. But it also can maybe make me the sinner. It also, Satan could use it to go, hey, look at me. Because she loves me so much, watch this. Hey, honey, can you give me a drink out of the refrigerator? <laughs> she loves me. It can cause me to, I need something else that I don't go there. There's something else I need loving her beyond measure. 
so that when she walks into the room, then I look, if I said this to Robert, And it's because of that love it will keep me from committing adultery. It will cause me to be faithful. It will cause me to go, what can I do to bless you? How can I serve you? All those things happen because love is in my heart. And it's a joy and delight to love her. Now translate that to God. Do you love her? Do you want to continue to grow in love with her? Because if you do, you won't find another lover. The things of this world won't mean as much. And you'll find new delights. And the bottom line, those new delights will cause you to give glory to him, which others will see. And God will say, well done, faithful servant. Thanks for being so overflowing with me that people can see the overflow and be blessed. Oh, you need a little bit more of me? Let me give you a little bit more.